Ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries to another exciting episode of the Hostile Takeover podcast. Thank you for waiting and your endless patience. We've had a necessary hiatus for a little while, but time and uh, mental brain spaces needed to be cleared out before we could get back to your regularly scheduled podcast content. Once a week, every week, I, Adam Rady, is a tinker and a very special guest, talk about our favorite games that we have in common or something that they might want to educate me about. PC, tabletop, console, and everything in between all can be discussed right here for your listening pleasure. Those of you joining us uh, through our Patreon support, I want to say a big thank you. All patrons get access to our written content many days in advance and get access to extended versions of our podcasts, all for your listening joys. And we appreciate every single one of you. So thank you for your continued support. And if you're not listening to us through Patreon, do check us out. You get everything nice and prompt, just as your body craves. But now, onto the main event. We are kicking things off with the con, the game that has made me a content creator and has kept me sane and humble as a human being. The ongoing series we have here on the Hostile Takeover, talking about Dungeons and Dragons, and no better friend and colleague and co-co-star, co-co-star co-broadcast partner to discuss it with the founder and forger of Aaron Spencer Productions, Essie, my good pal. How are you today? And my good friend Adam, I'm wonderful and much better this week for our take two. That is good indeed. Yeah, take two is a very good way to put it. A bit of context, ladies and gentlemen. We had uh, recorded this episode, but it turns out um, the recording software that I use, uh, OBS, which I use for most twitch streams just decided no we're not going to take in anything that you're saying so i am it's been deleted now because it's not any good to me but the there was an hour-ish recording of of essie saying wonderful pieces about uh the first half of the player's handbook classes just all really insightful stuff and then just really long awkward pauses all the way through where you can see my face sort of saying some stuff but nothing's really coming out so i i cry every time at the lost content but fear not we are doing a reshoot. We are both thespians. We're both actors. We're used to reshoots all the time, aren't we, friend? Absolutely. And not to <laughs> not to be too self-aware right here, but as much as I like the sound of my own voice, just me is a little bit overbearing. So I'm glad we're doing a take two. Uh, I think if it were just you in a different format, it'd be just fine. I think, um, <laughs> I think there's definitely the potential for the uh, spoken word singleton sort of podcast, but when it's very obviously one half of a conversation, it's going to be a little weird to the listener. Exactly. Yeah. Also true. And by the way, when we say my good friend, we mean that because as we were discussing in the pre-show, we are basically the same person. It's true, as we saw in the last time we talked about this, and we've must there must be a quite a decent count through the show so far, where uh, <laughs> Essie and I, we just very much agree on creative processes, um, influences, um alignments and preferences outside of the world of D&D. We are very similar people, and I'm, and I'm really glad that I struck up this conversation stream with little old you. But now, uh, the main event, as I said, I think. I actually have the player's handbook open this time. Amazing, wonderful. That's a step up. <laughs> yes, because uh, the last time we did this, I sort of caught you off the cuff because I had intended for episode three of uh, this miniseries of the Hostile Takeover to be um, us discussing the classes in turn and what we thought about them but we sort of went on a much more of a wild meandering quest about our takes on adventures and the both of us being enormous queers in this world <laughs> um but i think this time we're going to actually zone in and talk about each of the 12 classes in turn it's probably gonna be split over a couple of episodes 
and that is okay. But we are going to go class by class. Um, there and there are a lot of expectations and memes and stereotypes about each class, and we want to sort of zero in on each of them and say, are they fair? Where do they come from? How do we want to challenge them? And whatever else we think about with each class as we go through, because the classes are the heart and soul of the game. They are how the players interact with the world, be it the barbarians, flying, flying axes, the monks' fists of fury, or the wizard's spells. But uh, the class structure, because you, Miss, you have a much stronger, longer um, experience within Dungeons & Dragons, so I know that the class dynamic has changed quite a bit since the days of yore when the game began. Debatable. I mean, I played AD&D 2nd Edition and then went right to GURPS for several years, about a decade. So coming back to 5th Edition was a very interesting transition, <laughs> which actually kind of mirrored my real transition, which is ah. interesting. But I still have the hot takes from Fighter from our take one. So oh, wonderful. When, yes. When the... we get there, friend. When we get there, I, I will be perfectly honest. Um... Spicy teaser. Yeah, spicy teaser indeed, because uh, I remember distinctly that uh, the first half of the player's handbook, which is probably what we're going to cover today, um, the classes are all good and they're all flavorful, but they're not ones that um, that blow our skirts up like Marilyn Monroe over that, over that. great. They're not right, ones my preference that... is to the back half of the book. Yes, me too, but we'll get there in due course, but um, to get to the castle, you have to swim the moat, so let's start yeah. swimming. I like that about blowing skirts up, by the way, that's a funny analogy, I haven't heard that in a long time. Uh, it was a quote from Charlton Heston in True Lies, one of the secretly secretly the best Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, in my opinion. Um, uh, secretly low-key agree oh good I was, gonna, I was fully prepared to explain the movie yeah, uh, it's, in, it's nice when people don't take themselves too seriously speaking of taking themselves too seriously how about we dive into the barbarian the barbarian, <laughs> the one that takes themselves not too seriously the mountains of muscle the, uh, the foaming in the mouth rages uh, it depends on who's uh, playing it <laughs> yeah, depending on who's playing it because uh, the expectation is all of those things the foaming at the mouth rage axes, a sort of tribal stance very Conan, but um, there's a lot of things that can be done with the Barbarian if given to a particularly creative storytelling player, but what are your takes on the Barbar? -bar? So I, I really like the, the flavor, the spice, the variety that Barbarian gets now. It's a lot of visualizing, you know, with the Ancestral Guardian uh, and the Path of the Totem Warriors, really getting those, those elements of, you know, for my barbarian she's a path of the wolf so when she rages her fangs get her tusks get a little bigger she's a half orc she gets a little bit of fur that comes out of her shoulders and has that sort of primal ferocity her face may start to change a little bit and she lets out a howl and regardless of what animal you're doing elk bear etc you can still get that flavor and then the ancestral guardians with that sort of ring of spirits that can your ancestors coming out to help protect you that's really cool and again there's a lot of memes that are rightfully earned <laughs> with the barbarian because it's one of the longest running classes in various iterations it goes back to the conan trope that we talked about uh that you just talked about just now so there's a lot of long running flavor there yeah there really is uh i think that's um that image is sort of clear, just that uh, tall, raging figure with the with the large blades uh, going out with no regard and reckless abandon. Hence, the some of the flavors and the actual mechanical powers that they have, like reckless attacks and uh, furies and stuff. They can just go forth and just tear things down, which is how they play. But I like the possibility of the 
the actual visual changes those are quite nice um i think the new one that came from tash is the the primal shifter one that actually like gains even further animal forms that one's a particularly strong way that could sort of change the visuals around it which is a exciting thing mm -hmm. to see yeah i mean it's it, it's the old standby it's 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 the the conan trope it's the primal fighter the ancestral spirit warrior the one who has the connection with nature that's not a druid it's just you know the most classic trope i think when i think of ad and d second edition i think of the barbarian i think that's what i played in ad and d second edition but it's been so long see the barbarian a fighter i think it was a barbarian but it's yeah. just such a classic trope and then hero quest which came out adjacent to ad and d second edition which is a throwback to anyone anyone that was playing dnd around that time in 90s is going to be like yes yes there was spell there were spellfire cards from uh the what's the other adjacent wizards of the coast company TS, uh, tsr tsr yes 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 so yeah so there's there was spellfire from tsr there was hero quest and there was ad and d second edition and it was all barbarians and loincloths <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but then again, I think they knew that that image was so strong they could make all kinds of characters out of it. Yeah, and hey, the Conan animated series was to this day one of my favorite 90s animated series of all times. And there was just, everybody wanted to play that trope, whether it was the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies or the animated series or Hero Quest or some hybrid of a druid that was able to fight, anything like that. You know, And it still appeals to such a wide audience. Yeah. Especially now with the culture in queer culture being strong powerful women who can step on you a lot of people like playing barbarians sorry that's, that's why i play that's why i play a muscly half-orc barbarian sorry i said that a little bit too excitedly myself <laughs> um yeah i've been playing a lot of genshin impact and i'm trying to level up my beto for the similar reasons just like a uh, just like a Very large nice. sword wielding pirate queen but in any case yeah it's one of the best games i've ever played but i encourage people not to play it because it is a soul-sucking <laughs> grind but it's excellent because it appeals to a lot of uh, fantasy tropes and the image of a of a very large man or a very large lady being branching a large blade and stepping on you is the case. But I think the thing that unites all barbarians, no matter how they look visually, is their rages. They all have something to be angry about, which is one of the things that I've played quite a few barbarians. I don't know why. I think it's because it's like an antithesis of sort of like my thinking. I'm very lateral and like... Other people say I'm a wizard, so I just sort of associate myself with that. So I've just found myself gravitating towards barbarians just as a opposite sort of deal. And one of the ones I'm most proud of is a character who's a grieving mother who goes into a silent, seething, white hot rage that tries to do that as a prepping mechanism for all of the stuff she's lost. It's good and it's like a classic to get create those visuals of just like the the burly, immense mountains of muscle, but as long as there's a reason for them to be angry, any character, any visual character could become a barbarian, probably. Yeah, and there's, for really creative players, you can tie that into your gameplay too. Uh, if you really want to place RP sometimes slightly above combat, you can rage when is appropriate for the narrative, depending on your DM and your you know, table composition and your playstyle, but I think really dedicated barbarian players will sometimes do that. Which is interesting. It adds an extra layer of flavor if that's really what you're into. Yeah, very true. I've, I know I've done that with some of the barbarians I've played, and I've played quite a few at this point, three or even four. It's a, it's a personal favorite, even though it's not an expected favorite. 
Here's a good segue for you. What about a barbarian? The barbarian, weirdly, has been a theme that I've seen on a lot of games and a lot of characters. Uh, I've seen... Uh, I've played alongside the beatboxing barbarian when I was a, a co-star on Gilding Light. He was light. I've seen people style... I'm glad it you watched very, it. Very exciting. I'm glad you watched that. That was a great... Very fun. Great yeah. fun. Great, great show. And I'm still blown away that I was even a part of it. But along the lines of Barbarian, I've seen people who sort of take the aesthetic of like the dude with the pyro and the electric guitars in the original Mad Max, which I think is just yeah. a perfect mm -hmm. visual. But in any case, there's something I being like... Fury Road, but that's an iconic, that image yeah, that, in the remake. Yeah, yeah me too. I've, yeah. Yeah. Usually cited as the barbarian. The barbarian, but sure enough, someone who's so angry but channels that rage into their music seems like a natural thing, even though I have sunk a lot of people's dreams of playing this archetype when I say, you know you can't cast spells when you're raging, and I see their faces sink, mm. which is a sad thing, because I'm, I'm, I mostly DM, so I have to keep all of these rules like fresh in my head, which is a sad but necessary evil, but in any case... As we calm down and go into a uh, musical effort, I think if we're going to talk about memes and the cultural expectation for what each of these colosses do, I, uh, I'm i a little bit tired of the horny bard trope, personally. Mm -hmm. I think it's because the performers and the showmen are naturally charismatic, so they can uh, amass groupies, or they can amass devotees so that they would get their ends away, as it were, would be where that's come from. But there's so much more you can do with the whole creative generating magic sort of deal, which is something I, I like to see in bards and certainly some of the bards I play. But what's your take on spell singers, as I like to alternately call them? Spell singers. Sorry, I'm panicking because now I have to think of ways to retcon. I was experimenting around with multi-classes and sometimes I just throw them together and I absolutely forgot that bards cannot, that barbarians cannot cast spells while raging. I am so, so sorry. I Look, see, go, I've done it again. I've done, I've... I have to go do, yeah. They can, totem barbarians can do their rituals while they're, while they're raging because they're not actually, actually casting a spell. But then again, why you mm -hmm. would want to do that while you're raging is a kind of a weird one. Um, well, my thought was a bar uh, barbarian paladin. Okay. To have um, right. Okay. Uh, we could probably do get divine smites. Oh, the angriest smites. Well, yeah, that's fine. Uh, smites aren't spells. It's the smite spells are spells, oh, but divine okay. smite itself, where you turn spell slots into radiant damage, yes. that's not a spell. Well, then, never mind. Thank you. See. I'm still learning the rules. <laughs> that is all good. So, that is all good. I will be totally honest. That is not a combo I'd even thought of, but that is actually. Yeah. Well, like the... I said, I like to experiment and like uh, for games, I like to throw interactions at the party that they can communicate with, work with against if things go bad, but just inserting these hybrid classes that I can sort of experiment with and the party can interact with. And it gives me a chance to sort of play test them live and having these NPCs that are important to the story that come and go uh, and that can try out these different things. So it gives me a chance to try things out, gives the party a chance to see how multi-class might work. Uh, and it's kind of like a little mini play test for me, but segueing back to from Barbarian to Bardbarian, back to Barbarian Paladin, to the Bard. My take, love the Barbarian, never got into the Bard. I play a lot of acoustic guitar because I'm that person, but uh, I never really wanted to play a Bard, even though uh, the one thing, the one that caught my eye was College of Spirits because I'm an active 
uh, practitioner of witchcraft, and I do a lot of tarot cards. So I really like the idea of a bard that is a medium. And there, there correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a college of this college of eloquence, which I do really like. And then there is one bard that is focused around sort of theatrics, right? Like a theater bard. I've never really even taken the time to sit down and experiment on D&D Beyond with pen and paper or with Roll20 with a bard. So I just, I'm not there yet. That's fair. And you really shouldn't force yourself with any of the classes. Like, I love the idea of Sorcerer, but I want to get there. I have a lot, a lot of good ideas for them. But then again, I'm not in any uh, active games at the moment. This is the part where mm-hmm. I look to you and be like, let me in. <laughs> um, but seriously, um, <laughs> in terms of like an actual theatrics board, some of the base players handbook boards you can definitely reskin to be just like a general thespian mm. sort of deal. Mm-hmm. College of Eloquence is like a Shakespearean bard or like a Greek orator giving these long, grandiose speeches. Um, I know he's not Greek, but I was about to say, friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears. That sort of deal. <laughs> um, mm. General theatrics, you could do a lot of it. But then again, with College of uh, with College of Spirits, you could definitely have that be like a performance medium, someone with like a planchette, with a yes. with a pendulum, with tarot cards, to definitely sort of get a reading. The spirits are among us. A struggling content creator trying to make extra money by doing tarot readings, for example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they don't realize they're that real. they're they don't realize that they're actually realistically communing with spirits but they're never communing with the spirits they're aiming for that's not like a fun character that's funny i like that extra that extra bit of of flair flair and flavor that you can inject in there but yeah if i that would probably be my first bard would be college of spirits because it is real not too real if i was actually playing it but Hmm. i think i would really that one really called to me i have a couple of different players in some of the games that i run that play college of swords Hmm. it's very popular now because it's very powerful especially when you multi-class so that seems to be very popular as well. Yeah, I think um, flavor-wise, you can definitely skin it as your uh, Dread Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride fame into. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's that's the natural. So that, that would be what that's be what I would play. You seem a as nice. You wish. You seem a nice fella. I'd hate to have to kill you. Oh, you seem a nice <laughs> fella. I'd hate to have to die. Um, that's what happens when the swashbuckler Fantastic. rogue and the College of Swords bard have a fight. Literally. So um, to torture them. <laughs> but uh, in any case, the bard is versatile and it's limited by the creative sort of aspects to it. It's the, the guy who goes in high-speed strings with like um, Miguel or Tulio from El Dorado, but then also sort of like drawing people in by raw charisma is a great visual, but it's a... Dumb, aggressive barding. Aggressive barding. That's all great. That and uh, Yaskier of Witcher fame is a show I still haven't yes. seen. Well, that I think inspired a lot of Bards in D&D because that was during COVID. That was the first couple of months of COVID. And that's when the virtual uh, VTTs and D&D really took off. D&D Beyond got its popularity exploded. Same thing with Roll20. Other VTTs, because people were stuck in the house with nothing to do. And it just so happens that The Witcher just came out. It was like a perfect storm, I think. Because it was Witcher, COVID, and then people are like, what are we going to do? I'm How so- about D and D? I'm sorry, it just that just blows blows my mind that the, the that the the world being closed period. I like that's how I like to refer. It. I like to refer it as the world being closed. The world's been closed that long. It's been a long time. Uh, that was when it first closed. 
okay. I know. I, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, friend. I mean, like, I grew as a creator and a friend while the world was closed. Same. This this podcast wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, my network wouldn't exist. The various things that I'm part of as, uh, wouldn't exist. Uh, I, I, despite the world being closed, me estranging lots of people and varying variable shaky mental health stages the actual pandemic was actually very good for me it's good for a lot of people especially those in the D community i think yeah uh, exactly hence us so well speaking of healing yes i was about to growing. make the ex- i was going back to i was about to make the exact same segue same person we are the same person but yeah with the world being closed lots of people discovered the holy light of D, despite the fact that the world needed to lay on hands or a cure wounds so I remember the last time we had this discussion, you had a wonderful, very long, very strong belief about how powerful and important clerics were to the game, and I didn't want to um, just rehash it, but I also didn't want to just scoop past it because it was uh, such a strong message. I think yes. it's incredibly unfair for clerics just to be lumped in as uh, prime healers. You're there just to dispel buffs. The cleric is far more than that. Well, to really kind of sum it up this time, now that I've had more time to really think and reflect on it, the cleric, I think, allows, and there's such a huge community, there's such a huge LGBTQIA plus presence and a general queer presence in D&D now, more than ever. It's an opportunity for the queer community to both find a community that they can both be themselves and play games with, but also with the cleric, and for me specifically, and I know a lot of other, whether they are close friends or colleagues or just community members who happen to play in some of our, our collaborative games together, I know so many queer folk who have just absolutely dumped all of their religious trauma or other trauma into playing a cleric. And that's a big theme that we see in 2021. Both in the United States, but also I'm sure in the United Kingdom and abroad throughout the world is repressed religious trauma. And the general consensus from everyone I've talked to uh, about this, that is part of the community, you know, we, we have our very specific communities, but everyone I've talked to within these communities has said, yeah, it, it, for a lot of people, it's dealing with their, dare I say most people with repressed religious trauma, myself included, Almost everyone that I've talked to, almost unanimously, same thing. It helps people deal with um, a lot of negativity from organized faiths, not all, but a lot of organized faiths over you know centuries. Uh, there's a lot of coping and trauma that has been dealt to the LGBTQA community over centuries. And even if we're at a point now where we're at this cusp where things are just starting to change for the better, where people can live their true authentic, authentic lives and be their true selves. And all of that religious trauma and those decades or centuries of having people, you know, say that being queer is evil, uh, goes against the will of faith to be able to channel that into something positive into a community that you're a part of that is loving and accepting, that believes that people should be able to live their true authentic lives and channeling that into a fantasy world where you can empower yourself through the exploration of other deities and other faiths and other ways of making religion, spirituality and faith something positive. 
something just genuinely, generally positive in your D&D game and within your community is a really beautiful thing. Really is. It's wonderful. I'm Again, Cleric is one of those classes that I was always aware of, but never really got the chance to fill in myself. But that possibility of self-expression and understanding and taking something that has such strong sort of negative is not necessarily the right word, but it is negative energy towards queer people such as myself, yourself, and the people we associate with. I think, yeah. I think a lot there of that. certainly a long and well-documented history of it. So yeah. a lot of it is unfortunately objective mm. based on history. And it's, it's unfortunate, but what's fortunate about that is that now we have this outlet. And I think the world itself is a little bit more progressive and accepting in general so yep and And again another perfect storm yep and with that we get the possibility of turning something that has seen people like us and people that we associate quite heavily with because i feel like you and i have a very strong group of and circle of queer friends who play this game with us they feel that level of acceptance and understanding from a, uh, a figurehead of a community that otherwise wouldn't so that's yeah, why I, believe I think it. both of our communities are pretty generally inclusive and spaces for queer folk and for the LGBTQIA community. With us is a little niche with witchy stuff too, but in general, yeah. that's like our our primary our primary communities. Yeah, and the vision of the cleric, as well as the possibility of turning something that is as negative as religious stigma into something positive and representative of queer spaces is a wonderful thing and that makes me all the more proud to play this game and to say that this game has changed and saved my life and defined me as a person so i'm glad that something so negative can come so positive out of the game just doing something as effortlessly as making a holy figure less sucky yeah and what's really nice is that companies like D beyond and wizards of the coast are very much behind behind us and it's nice really nice to see the two biggest or two of the biggest entities in D&D supporting our community and in solidarity. T- Ernie Gygax can scream in a corner all he wants, but D&D Beyond and Watsy at the end of the day, it's really nice to know that they have our backs. Yeah. And we will continue to support the progressive and understanding yes. from what I can understand community, despite the loud and surprisingly idiotic minority that some that was responded for finding our game but uh things are looking positive things are looking grand and hopeful for the future of D and the players here oh there's really no good segue other than let's talk about plants i mean no i was about to say <laughs> i was about to animals say, no, no no i was going to say something along the lines of we've come to, it's come to a great beautiful place from the from the seeds that were planted forty plus years ago, we have bloomed into something grand and delicious. And Much I try. But, Much uh, better than mine. <laughs> ah, trust yourself; it's all good. It's... Let's talk about plants. Yeah, let's talk about plants. So, yeah, the druid, the green mages, the green speakers. Uh, again, another very interesting class that I have lots of ideas for, but never really didn't really blow my skirt up to quote to, as Marilyn Monroe would say. Do you put googly eyes on your plants as a druid? Um, I'm very interested in druids that are powerful enough that they don't need to. They just, sometimes <laughs> they grow weird, squishy, plant-like eyes. 
you know, I'm not a fan of druids, but having that Christopher Walken gardener who's very, <laughs> very scared of plants as a D&D character would be really funny because he's got some really, really funny points in that video clip that can kind of relate to druidism, where he's talking about plants as if they're alive, and that, which is part of D&D, and to have a druid that would just be like, whoop, hey, don't trust that plant whatsoever. I need to put some bigger googly eyes on them. It's, it could be like a Venus flytrap or something, you know, no, but, or or a man trap. Yeah, D and D. It'd be like it'd be googly eyes, but you just get like big like felt rectangles, <laughs> so it looks like angry eyebrows. Like hmm. Yep. But uh, yeah, that understanding and that belief of like plants not just being alive because plants are alive, obviously, mm -hmm. but plants having like a soul and a consciousness, like a like a an animal would. That's like a fruitarian belief. I I feel like Gandhi and certain kinds of uh, vegans sort of appeal that way. That like uh, fruit and vegetables have souls, and cooking is cruel. I believe is the belief. I, I'm probably horrendously over summarizing it, and I'm truly sorry. I always knew it was going to be the ferns. <laughs> okay, that's my that's my last quote from that. But that I I really want to make this character now. Very excited. I don't have too much to offer on the druid. I um. I've played around with the Archdruid stat block, done some interesting NPCs with that. I made one NPC for a campaign, again, with experimenting around with different classes, introducing NPCs to the players. I did a an evil sort of ish Centaurum aligned circle of the land uh, swamps druid, which was a lot of fun. And again, what we, what we were saying last time is that I always thought that Caduceus from Critical Role was a druid, but he's actually a grave cleric, or they're actually a grave cleric. I'm not sure if there's a multi-class there, but I always it seemed very druidic, but never really, the druid never really struck me. How about you? Any druid characters, druid stories? Um, just the just the stoner for a friend, um, Corey from No Ordinary Heroes. Uh, he ran a He ran a game set in Taldore for us. Which was a lot of fun. Um, I've got to chase him to see if he wants to pick that game back up again. Um, yeah, I would. Yeah, there was some use of like a very strong druidic society in some of the worlds I create. Uh, they're always sort of aware of each other, but they all sort of defer back to one druid who's hundreds of years old and is. Most, most more tree than man these days, uh, in terms of the story that I've written. And they also commune with a forest dragon, insofar as a dragon that's made of twisting leaves and wood and plant matter, as opposed to flesh and bone and scales. He's a very important character and a character that I hold quite dear, even though he's not very friendly. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am 
the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Cougar. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and battle me, nards. I definitely do not fuck that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. Or fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. But, uh, yeah, Drew was always a class that I loved in theory, but was not something that was blew up my skirt, as Marilyn Monroe would say. That's probably yeah, number three. Check off your bingo cards. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> that's why I wanted to try and subvert the kindly green mages with something a little bit more sinister, which is why I'm writing the Circle of the Rock Grower for my book with uh, Jeff, the patron of Biscuits of Apotheosis Studios. Yes. The pre- Great name, by the way. Oh, yeah. the Wait, Jeff or the Rock Grower? Jeff. I do like biscuits. No, nah, yeah, but biscuits. But, but to me, in American, biscuits are kind of like what you get at Kentucky Fried Chicken, the big thick things you can covered in butter twist them open it's, i think biscuits have a different meaning in the uk yes like we do not right? we do not have those things that you're talking about they are not <laughs> they're not a thing that you have um for us biscuits are a synonym for cookies ah okay that's what i thought yeah the english language is weird especially across ponds but yeah, yeah. vernacular weird <laughs> words um, but in any case, the idea of subverting the idea of a kindly green mage is something that tempts me, which is why the Circle of the Rock Grower, which is going to be featuring my book alongside that I've written with Jeff, will be druids that practice necrobotany. I remember this discussion from last time, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing this. Yes, you said that this might be an actual druid flavor that interests you, hopefully, probably, yes, maybe. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I do like necromancy. Big fan of Vecna as a villain, which was nice because... That's been a point of contention in our D&D campaign with Vecna as sort of a morally gray character. But hearing, I believe it was Taking 20, yes, uh, on YouTube, check it out, had a really great take on Vecna and absolutely gushed about how they thought Vecna was just the coolest villain. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Someone else. I appreciate the love. That would be interesting. It's just a, it's so easy to just uh, paint the, immense sinister necromancer as a bad guy but no there's 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 got to be reasons for why they do what they do yes motivations and reasons if you have yeah. that you have depth and if you have depth you have a character where people even if it's just a little bit can think huh, what if they are right about x y or z yeah. like in our campaign it's he's like hey we need to make something that can resist the effects of the eldritch gods and of the deepest horrors from the abyss if you're undead or well steeped in necromancy, you're gonna have resistance to that. Yep. Everyone's like, "Huh, <laughs> I got the wheels turning." Much in the same way that uh, the necrobotany druids that I write about, they are very pragmatic and recognize that the circle of life is a circle, and that just because you're dead and buried doesn't mean you can't have friends over. True. Yep, and they use they- those dead friends to have plant life come up and animate those dead bodies to go be fast and powerful undead creatures but that is as much as i'm going to say you'll have to check the menagerie of madness whenever it comes to your shores okay one question about that specifically is it sort of like puppeteering them or is it something where it it's plant life living through kind of reanimating 
of, or is that sort of TBD, secret to be TBD? Honestly, that is something that the actual player of the Rock Rower Druid can decide for themselves. Oh, okay, I like that. That that is that is a part that is not very flavor intrusive. If you want to say that it's the plant essence, if you want to say that it's the plant essences animating the skeletons or the zombies, that is all good. If you want to say that it's the zomb the essences of the zombies that are enhanced by vines for muscles, uh, bone bones made of hardened wood, uh, wings made of great leaves or petals. Love it. It's entirely up to you. That's. I, I remember you saying this was a flavor of Druid that has excited mm -hmm. you and excited a couple of other people in my life that aren't super hyped by Druids. So, great minds. Yeah, Good definitely. Uh, again, because the other thing that interested me was the circle of the land swamp, and they seem to be very similar. She, her whole deal was beauty from decay, and I yeah. think the multi-class was being able to use decompose that I did for her, and the whole thing was she would make corpse blooms, and she would say, and she would show people through the decompose, uh, which the decomposability, how beautiful life can be from something that has passed. the mm. The body is what nourishes the earth, while the soul and the spirit moves on into the sort of greater ethereal plane the energy that surrounds us and sort of permeates through both the land and into the sky and into whatever realms lie beyond so she was very sort of positive even though she was Zentarum adjacent or Zentarum aligned there was a lot of positivity to that and a lot of people really really like that character and sometimes they ask hey what about that druid that we met that is an interesting character and a great way to sort of take that pragmatic recognition that death is okay and that death fuels life and it always will I think that's definitely the case, but that's also sort of what influenced me to create that uh, that class, that subclass, is that swamp uh, swamp circles have that essence to it. Um, mm. Spores druids from the Ravnica books have that essence to it, but it wasn't quite strong enough for me. It there needed to be something that actually benefits the druid power set with being able to make strange plant zombies, and I just wanted strange plant zombies. So that is what the world has been given or will be given. Soonish. So, are you a black green Golgari player? No, I uh, my username and my uh, across everything is is a tinkerer. We will talk That's about right. that a great length when we get round to sorcerer and wizard. It'll be spicy indeed. I I like slinging spells and I like the fact that they are the king of standard right now uh, on arena. It's kind of stupid. Well, for now we have to deal with muscly. <laughs> um, Muscly individuals or yep. very dexterous individuals picking things up, putting things down, and throwing axes and swinging swords. Oh no, I, oh no, I have to fight in the shade. Look at all those arrows coming for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's, that's literally what happens with um, Action Surge for archery. It sort of focuses on fighters, but still, people give fighters so much flack, but it is the most versatile class. I do. <laughs> I do. I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm, and I'm okay with that. Your opinions are valid, and I would like to hear them because you have teased our delightful and tasty listeners with your hot takes. Go ahead, be the hottest of bagels. Yeah, fighters are good for the first three classes when you're multi-classing into fighter from something else, and other than that, they're pretty much useless. Yeah, I remember. You gotta get that action, action surge. Yep. It's like, okay, I'm gonna multi-class into fighter, I'm gonna get my action surge, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna get my second win, and maybe I'll get like a brutal critical or something, or a couple of fighting maneuvers, and 
uh, that's my hot take. The only yep. thing fighter is good for is multi-classing into it from other classes. It is a, it is quite a hot take because um, getting those three levels of champion and then just riding the rest of the barbarian train gives you all of that spice for brutal critical when you get there into barbarian. That's exactly what I did in my barbarian. But again, <laughs> I can I can feel the reaction from that from the interwebs. Uh, I mean, like it's it's a reasonable hot take. I think a lot of the the player base is divided between what I would say in that fighter is the most is the most versatile and most protagonists from a lot of great fantasy movies like the Lord of the Rings are just different flavors of fighter. Yeah, and again, that's just my personal no. opinion. And your personal <laughs> it opinion may totally be works wrong. out. <laughs> it, it totally works out. It totally works out because you can also get the other side of the personal beliefs where is that fire is just incredibly generic and why would you want to be a dude with a pokey stick when you can literally shoot fire and lightning <laughs> yeah that's kind of kind of where i'm at yeah which is also okay that's why i've never been sort of drawn to fighter either because i like fire and lightning as my right. username on many platforms would suggest but no one is wrong for playing fighter again that's exactly. just my that's just my personal hot take on yeah it. If no one's wrong. Play a fighter. Hey, more power to you. And I think a lot of people do play fighters because we get they do on all of the all of the surveys I see everywhere. The most popular character build still is human fighter because you've got to start I've somewhere. Been known to cite, I've been known to cite the human fighter meme every once in a while. <laughs> yep, yeah, it just makes me think of the uh, the the crab guy to D and D by Joe Cat, just John oh, Fighter Man. Yeah. All of those are delightful. Well, hey, hey, Joe Cat has my back on that. That's all I'll say. Yeah, no, Joker has the hottest takes on all of the classes. <laughs> yes. Which, and they all they all shake up, which is a nice thing to see, but still they are in the hottest of takes. Put 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 your oven mitts on. <laughs> Some of your favorite fighter subclasses. I really like the the power level behind uh samurai, because you can just be like, I fancy having advantage now. It's just really mm. funny. And I love what and I'm going to be honest and just like openly defend uh, Tasha's cause, uh, Tasha's cauldron of everything. I know I that Tasha's. when Tasha's was marketed, they said that they were going to address a lot of what people found annoying and unbalanced for a lot of things across the across various other books. They said that they were going to address that in Tasha's, but they but Wizards effectively copped out by saying, "Oh, you can swap out powers whenever you want to. You can change certain." abilities whenever you want to. Tasha's rubbed up a lot of the player base uh, the wrong way, which I really don't think is fair. For what it wanted, to, for what it had to do, introducing new subclasses, introducing the Artificer class to the wider community who didn't bother to invest in Eberron, and giving us a plethora of very playable um, magic items and spells that are going to lead onto the whole uh, interplanar multi-worlds theory that they're going to start going towards in D&D in the future from what I can gather Tasha's served a really good job and for that I have no gripe with it well, the, the Psy Warrior is pretty cool yes uh, that the, yes. the Rune Knight the Rune Knight fighter is cool but again it's still even with those little those little additions and the runes are very cool right I, I'm as a pagan I'm into runes and rune work and that sort of thing and random runes of the day you know but just at, at the end at the end of the day <laughs> i just doesn't doesn't really it used to in high school when i played gurps mm. and i was like hey gladiator just came out 
let's do something like that, right? Let's just swing a sword. And I did that for, for a long campaign in high school. And then I was like, I've had my fill. That I got my fix. I, I was like, let's do something. And I've never gone back. I've multi-classed into fighter, but ever since that, I never went back. Yeah, it's um, it's very simple in its essence, but you can do a lot with it. You can get that's what I was talking about with Tasha's. The wonderful thing about Tasha's is that you get those suggested builds for certain flavors of flight mm-hmm. fighter and battlemaster, which I think is just a really great feature. There's a lot of customization and a lot of possibilities to it, but they are going to be ultimately different flavors of dude with stick or dude with uh, pew pew machine. <laughs> they yeah. they are powerful and they are interesting, but you can also go over there and shoot fire and lightning, which is always going to appeal to me and appeal to a lot of people who like fantasy. But there's right. a place for well, fighter and there's a there's a place for it, which I love. All of my players that play fighter play rune knight, and again, I appreciate that as a pagan because I'm. Cool, you know, and I, I really do a lot of flavoring mm. of that. And I have a lot of musical cues in our off stream games, off stream games that I can use from uh, bands like Wardruna or, um, uh, you know, other Norse uh, bands. Uh, um, uh, do you listen to Scald very much? Yes. That's yes. great, right? They have Run, right? Or Rune? I think so. Yes. No, I, I just mostly know, I mostly know them for their amazing cover of uh, Seven Nation Army. Yeah. Uh, so we use a lot of that when we do sort of our rune knight fighters. And we uh, we have one character who is actually playing a Nuth Guardian inspired by the, uh, the seer, uh, the fortune teller, the seer, the, the ancient, uh, the village elder from Vikings. And it's really cool because he does like the throat chant stuff and i describe like the runes kind of lighting up and tracing the runes in the air and it's a really cool flavor like that and then our our other fighter had a lot of her own flavor with casting the spells and everything from rune knight and having things already traced uh in draconic usually on her weapons and armor so there's a lot of flavor there but i'm pretty sure everyone i know has played the rune knight the other fighters i haven't seen anybody really touch them aside from multi-class which is a, a shame, but has a its own utility and its own reason to it. So player choices will take their characters to all sorts of places, be it from across the adventuring heights to distant cities to sequestered monasteries on mountainsides. Yes. Other than gunslingers, which is a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. Gunslingers <laughs> are so interesting. Fantasy flavored sort of western almost, like gun ma- like with gun mages and like gunslingers. So the idea of a fantasy-themed sort of cowboy is always something that's going to be on the back of my mind, which is great, but as a non-American, I will always be aware that I'm sort of pastiching on that part of culture. Right. Well, speaking of that, that's actually, and speaking of games like Genshin Impact and about mm. being Westerners, let's turn our gaze to, to the East. sort of Eastern culture, yes. right? Eastern history, Yeah. actually uh, an Asian studies major Amazing. myself. So history, and it was, I never actually got that minor, but I took all the classes. It was really, it was really weird. And I think my last semester, I was like, can I put this in here? And they're like, you'd have to take one more class and you wouldn't get the degree. I was like, never mind then. Mm. And like, you're like one class short or something like that. But, so I just got the, the, the bachelor's in history with a caveat that said, I basically did the Asian studies program and all, all the classes, but one. So um, what sort of but, stuff did you study there? Would that help you to understand uh, monks in a way? 
well, I went to Japan uh, okay. on an exchange program, and I got to see uh, one of the oldest Japanese castles in in Japan. I think it was actually the oldest. Uh, it was in Matsumoto. I believe it was self-named Castle Matsumoto. There might be a different name for it, but let's just go with that for now. But it was in Matsumoto, and beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, they have lots of... Uh, the city itself has a lot of animated characters that they use to represent different aspects of the city. And they have a city mascot and there's an old, I believe there's an old Imperial vacation residence there next to the castle, which was very interesting. We kind of walked by it, but we went into Matsumoto castle and really got to explore and, and got to touch the old wood and climb up the steep stairs and being in the battlements. And that's more fighter samurai but just a quick sidebar for me, that was we that was a really amazing experience. And my specialty was Sengoku Jidai. And during Sengoku Jidai, there were these monks, and I strongly recommend Extra Credits History to everyone that has not seen the Extra Credits History series on the Sengoku Jidai. Definitely look them up because they have these great little tidbits. Uh, and one of the things that they that they left one of their cliffhangers on was what could possibly stand in the way of the unification of Japan. One thing, warrior monks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there, there is this great, uh, great bit during Sengoku Jidai, uh, during the unification of, of, of Japan, uh, when the warrior monks of uh, 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 Ishiyama Hongganji stood against um, Nobunaga Oda and Toyotama, Toyotama Hideyoshi, who eventually became his second in command, uh, stood against them uh, to really frustrate that entire campaign. Uh, and towards the latter portion of Senkoku Jidai, there are these warrior monks the, uh, of Ishiyama Honganji that are legendary for basically putting the entire campaign, the entire unification of Japan, on a standstill for just doing dope monk shit. <laughs> To segue also into critical role, so yeah, is that entire castle of monk classes, actual monk classes, doing dope monk shit, flying around and doing cartwheels and jumping off of buildings and everything, and uh, the and uh, clan uh, uh, Oda uh, and uh, again his second in command, one of his lieutenants Toyotoma Hideyoshi, which was the second unifier of Japan, they were like. WTF, what is happening? There's people doing cartwheels and climbing up walls and, you know, shooting us, you know, with precision from 300 feet away. What is happening? Yeah, so Oda Nobunaga was a vicious tactician. And yeah. if he could not win, he would just say, yeah, he sorry, would not take no for an answer. What a, yeah, what a wild time. And honestly, one thing that we talked about and you see this a lot in contemporary history, and I try to incorporate this into my D&D themes as well. I take a lot from my what I learned at university about history and about thinking differently is that the people struggle the most during, during periods of extended war. And that's where stories about uh, oni and devils and demons come in from Japanese culture. Um, and most of that mythos comes from the suffering of the common folk during yeah. uh, both the Onin War prior to Sengoku Jidai and throughout Sengoku Jidai. Yep. Uh, there's an ongoing war through the current campaign that I'm DMing for right now. 
but the actual ability and the people uh, governing and commanding that war are a very minor focus. I like to zoom in on the actual people fleeing from townships destroyed by orcs, uh, how the city's infrastructure is weren't managing up. The the machinations of like leading classes never really interested me in stories. And that's something I like to reflect a lot in my writing. So yeah, seeing that sort of folklore actually coming through from a logical place makes total sense. Because seeing those seeing those like helms do look like Oni or devil like horns. So that's where those stories probably came from. And also uh, speaking of now we're talking about Japanese history and the East. Um, the one of the authors of Candlekeep, one of the Candlekeep Mysteries adventures with that revolved around monks uh, and the historical figure of Bakme uh, was Daniel, uh, Daniel Kwan, uh, K-W-A-N. Um, and he's been on several of D&D Beyond's podcasts and they were talking about potentially revisiting Karatur, um, but doing it correctly. Wow. And that's something that is, yeah, uh, there's ongoing talks with that. And it has been hinted at, and there's a lot of things that you have said before, but can't really talk about it, but you may have heard rumblings, but that's one of the things that Daniel Kwan has expressed interest in is revisiting that properly, but he wants to have a, a fully, from everything I gathered from the interviews, wants to have a fully developed team and really wants commitment, a commitment from wizards to do this correctly over an extended period of time uh, to get it right, especially with, um, some of the more recent things that have been happening in the news with violence against the Asian community is something that has to be done and really should be done correctly. So um, I agree with wanting to sort of wait until you have the full commitment in the team, but that would be really, that would be a great campaign setting and a real opportunity for a lot of people to explore monks and hopefully educate themselves on whatever Eastern culture that they are trying to, that interests them, whether it's Korean, Taiwanese, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese culture, hopefully that that setting will inspire people to genuinely learn and enlighten themselves on these very rich cultural histories. I think a lot of people want to be respectful in general about doing something uh, that that borrows a lot or appropriates in some cases from from other cultures and i think having you know a whole adventure that is made by asian content creators and writers and and artists is going to be important and the next step from you know uh in order to really revitalizing and breathing new life into the monk class at least that's what i would i would like to see and i know that there are a lot of people who are on that road of making it happen so yeah i feel like that uh for the stuff to come along sincerely, it would have to come from a place of creators that know the history, know the culture, and respect the culture. Otherwise, it would just be appropriation. The actual flavors of Monk and the Samurai subclass are like loose enough at present so that it wouldn't be so bad in terms of the appropriation. It's just very right. strong powers given a certain name and has a certain like callbacks to things like that, but if they're going to actually revisit things in an actual law perspective, be it for a non uh, somewhere flavor neutral or an established setting, they have to be able to give it the respect it deserves, and I feel that the strength and the overall, even though I hate it as a buzzword, the wokeness of uh, culture at present, there's going to be a love, care, and attention so that 
a respectable team will be chosen and the story right. and the efforts will be given its due diligence. I say I don't like wokeness as like a, as like a, as a buzzword. What it represents is very important. Being socially aware and socially yeah. switched on is important. I just wish they had a better term for it. Well, I think I think to take all of that mm-hmm. and sort of put it together in a neat little package. It's exactly from my interpretation of the several interviews that Daniel Kwan did with D&D Beyond and other uh, outlets was exactly that, that in order to do it correctly, just got to give the job to Asian content creators, got to give the job to, to Asian writers and artists and a predominantly Asian team. I feel that they'll have the care and attention that would get all slivers of Asian culture represented cleanly and respectfully if it was a broad Asian created team. And the people who wouldn't be Asian in that part of the creative process would probably have to be historical experts or yeah. design experts that have the care and attention to make sure that it's signed off and correct from the oversight of that large creative process. But I have faith in wizards to know that they yes. are handling such big, important cultural touchstones that they can't mess it up. It would be, a lack of a better word, a disaster if they did it would offend a lot of great people and it would be a just a huge wasted opportunity. They know what they need to do. They have access to this talent and I I have confidence in them. Uh, and if that's the case, then I can definitely count on justice being served where it needs to be to tell a certain kinds of story. And as we're getting to the end of our time, we're going to wrap up with the flavors of justice themselves. A uh, class that has always really interested me, but has again not given my love and attention. So... Essie, my good pal, what do you say about the Holy Knights and the Paladins of the Worlds of Dungeons and Dragons? Love the Paladin. One of my absolutely favorite, all-time favorite classes. Love, love, love. I've played a Green Knight in a prolonged extended campaign. So much fun. She was a half tabaxi. I can hear the memes and the people roaring in the background. Yes, I played an anime cat girl because I don't like to play. I didn't want to do like a full furry. I wanted to do like cat ears and a little tail so i asked my dm i was like can i do a cute little cat girl and they were like sure (laughs) yeah so i incorporated that into my campaigns now so i make half tabaxi or anime cat girls you know available to uh to to everyone just uh you know basically mikote and i always point to mikote say no it's not this Think of it as Mikote. And there there have been really well done Mikote or half tabaxi PDFs that are out there. So I recommend looking them up. They're really, they're really cool and they're really in-depth. Um, but also I do a lot of in our Centaurum campaign, I have a lot of NPCs that are Oath of Conquest. Uh, Oath of Conquest Paladins of Syric or Bashaba or Tempest, the Red Knight, uh, other deities like that. I played in Oath of Conquest Paladin myself in a Curse of Strahd campaign who followed all those deities. She was connected to our world, was part of the Zentarum. Our DM was gracious enough to let me do that. I love the Divine Smite. It is very cool. A little bit of extra damage. Everybody loves Ford from Critical Role. There's just so much fun and flavor there. Finding the steed. I've got so many paladins in all the campaigns that I do, and I flavor everyone's steed differently. For our, We have a paladin of Vecna who has an undead horse. Um, my paladin of Bashaba and Sirik had the stag, the giant stag with the red eyes and the dripping kind of black uh, ichor from its mouth. Um, and 
there's so many different, you can do a wolf or, or anything, just a traditional steed. Uh, we had a paladin of Leviatar at one point. Everything was sort of whip flavored and BDSM flavored. Nice. Sorry. All That's... kinds of. <laughs> yeah. Paladin's not a class I've played, but it's a class I love to DM for. There's the. I've, ha I've had the benefit of playing uh, with um, my father when I was getting properly into 5th edition, who based his, pa his Dragonborn Paladin very heavily on Captain America. Uh, okay. Which I thought was quite quite delightful. Just um, mostly using lightning breath instead of the flying shield, but still was the beacon of justice and the 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 the, the expectations you'd get for lawful good. But then again, currently for no ordinary heroes, the paladin is a as a former prisoner of war, someone who's gone through like psychological abuse throughout his entire life and has found himself in a religious enclave to a religion he doesn't really understand and has been anointed by a very indifferent god who has great expectations for him even though he doesn't particularly care so it's been really interesting to get that sort of struggle with the divine quest but the reluctancy to it and i will have to say uh philip over there on ordinary heroes is one of the strongest role play players that i've ever worked with and he's an absolute treasure he'll be a growing shame to see him go if he has to because of his commitments but um, the vision of that holy night going forth and being that beacon of justice is the expectation, which is always so fun to sort of be at the helm of your party. But it's really great to see that there's different flavors to it, and you pulled out a lot of the great different visuals to it for Fine Steve, which is all things I never really even thought of doing, which is a delightful sort. Yeah, there are definitely a fun class that I enjoy DMing for. I I love the idea of this, like the strong holy knight going forth and taking charge. Mm -hmm. And if you have a glorious steed to ride into battle on, it yeah. makes it that much cooler. Yeah, that's but, not. Yeah, that's a part I really wanted to yeah. try and use more, but that's not something I've done a lot of myself. Yeah, unfortunately, our paladin of Vecna wanted when they first got it. They got it in the middle of the jungle in Tomb of Annihilation. I was like, it's gonna be really hard for you to use that thing, especially now that you're in Omu and everything is kind of overgrown. Uh, you know, they were, and they were excited and I felt I felt bad to have to kind of put a damper on that. But I'm like, there's no there's no open area for your steed to like to truly run. Unfortunately. Um the Tomb of Annihilation is a little limiting in that in that regard, but overall I still think it's an excellent campaign. It was just unfortunate that they couldn't use they couldn't really use fine steeds, so I might have them give them the option of taking an extra spell just to, to make up for it. But it's a really cool spell when you can use it. Yeah, maybe ooh, that's a good idea, because uh at present I write for Apotheosis Studios, so there's a lot of talk coming very soon about the next book, a lot following on from the Red Opera and Siren Song, that the next book will be Oath of the Paladin. So there's been much Paladin-flavored goodness coming to our shores very soon. So I, I, I have an idea that might benefit those uh, holy knights who do not have something majestic to ride into battle. I just thought of something that will probably be coming to the Apotheosis Studios blog very soon, as of time of recording of this. But well, Paladin's overall one of my favorite classes. I love the flavor, I love the smites. And they can be a paladin of any deity. That's true. Light or light, uh, light aligned, good aligned, evil aligned, 
you know, yes. however you want to flavor that. And that's another opportunity for people to deal with religious trauma, especially me. Uh, yeah. I can attest to that. Actually, I think the the fine point of, now that I think about it, my uh, my, ex-boy, my ex-boyfriend, who was a transgender man, uh, his first D&D character was also a paladin who was, who was also um, he was playing a trans character in the game and nice. just used that as a as an excuse to be more of a shining beacon for visual, visual representation and importance and yeah, being a crusader for the things that religion usually represses is a wonderful and further example of religious trauma being literally smited yeah. in holy light Sounds like the Oath of Love homebrew for Shira, where you can basically play magical girl paladin. Oh, that sounds delightful. I need to find that but now. A, but armored magical girl, so Shira. Well, that's that's part of the joy. Um, Soros Varna from the MOD DM for No Ordinary Heroes. Uh, she's a sor- she's a no. she's a holy sorcerer. Oh, amazing! Um, I'm wearing the sh- I'm wearing I'm wearing the Shira T-shirt. Sorry, that was a tongue twister. You can't see it, but it is there. Is it can attest to it? I can. It's true. She's so, kind of holding the sword out, very, very much like a paladin. Very paladin, yes. But yes, yeah, Sora, the uh, holy sorcerer from the game idea for No Ordinary Heroes, her mage armor goes out to her and her party, but it also looks like magical girl regalia. So you're being protected by glitter, fantastic, and Love shorts, sh- uh, glitter, amazing boots, and short skirts somehow. It's great, uh, but still the expectation of the holy knight championing a cause, and I really want to like push the idea that paladins can be evil aligned and serving deities that are evil aligned. I'm also very interested in the idea of a good aligned paladin serving an evil aligned deity, if that's possible. I feel like it must be. I'm sure there's ways for the right DM to flavor that. But uh, in any case, we have covered the first tasty, tasty half of the player's handbook. Thank you all for listening. Tune in in two weeks' time where we cover Ranger to Wizard, which I think is definitely where we're going to get a lot of our spice and our strong opinions in. Very excited for that, wouldn't you say, friend? Mm-hmm. Those are some of my favorites. But until then, for those... Much to look forward to. Much to look forward to indeed. But until then, for the viewers that have missed us for the past few weeks and will continue to miss us while we're off the air, where can our dear listeners find you, your works, writings, viewings, and musings? You can find us everywhere, quite literally everywhere. I've really put ourselves out there. E-S-P-D-N-D with an N. Uh, an ampersand will also work, but I realize that D&D Beyond has had it right all along. The ampersand sometimes cuts off hashtags and titles, so... We're going to be switching everything to ESPDN as in Nitro, D-N-D. So ESPDND or Aaron Spencer Productions, either one of those will bring you directly to us. We stream on Twitch every other Saturday, our fun, evil, live-streamed actual play campaign, which then is translated into YouTube VOD and podcast. And that is twitch.tv slash ESPDND. And then on YouTube youtube.com slash c for creator slash aaron spencer Productions. so either aaron spencer productions or espdnd will bring you right to us on basically any platform and we hope to see you out there and you can also join our discord community where we have a lot of either just 
queer people or queer witches because that's kind of our that's kind of our niche for the live stream campaign is we're going to be integrating a lot of witchy stuff into the homebrew which we're studying in january including being able to pull tarot cards live during the stream and also using crystals to power up the players as the audience i'm excited about that how about you so they sound like very exciting stuff and do check that out i'm a proud member of uh the ESP Discord server is a very lively community that I'm very happy to be a part of. But as for little old me, you can find my writings in and around Dungeons and Dragons on my baby, fantasticuniverses.com, the founder and forger of this show, as well as the Apotheosis Studios blog. You can find further writings about PC and tabletop gaming from me on there on Fantastic Universes, as well as Rune Terra CCG, where I deck tech many decks across the League of Legends card game. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer, where I talk about queer issues, gaming stuff, and bad beats at some of my various games. The thing that got me started as a journalistic writer was, of course, Batman and DC Comics, so you can find my many reviews per month on Dark Knight News. The, this show, as well as I Am The Night on the DC Comics News podcast, is where you can listen to my dulcet tones. And to see me in action, go to twitch.tv forward slash IsItTinkerer for card gamey goodness. Uh, the hostile atmosphere on YouTube for my PC Let's Plays and No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube for my Dungeons and Dragons Let's Plays. I make a lot of content. You and me both? Yeah, we do. But it's all good stuff and I'm really happy to be a part of it. And I'm really happy to have you as a continual guest right here talking about Dungeons and also Dragons on the Hostile Takeover. Times two, right back at you. Amazing stuff. Thank you for listening all. And until next time, live free and play well. <laughs> <laughs>